Okay, let's pray. Father, tonight we give you thanks for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that your word is a lamp and a light. We thank you, Lord, if we walk according to what you said and live our lives according to that, we don't have to stumble through life, but we can walk to the place you've called us to. Father, tonight I pray for revelation to come to me as I speak, to each as they listen, that we might have your revelation about what you want to say to us tonight. Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This week I, uh, or last week, I can't remember exactly when, I was, uh, for some reason I was looking through, in my car I listen to Pandora radio and typically it's Bethel. Every now and then uh, I listen to something from the the 60s or 70s, more soft rock type music and Tammy and I like listen to that sometimes. And uh, so every time, you know, when you listen to an old song, it always, most of them invoke some kind of memory, you know, and, and, uh, and some of those are good, some of them are not, and you know, some of you need deliverance for, or whatever they are. <clears throat> but, well, you know, I like that. But I, but I was, I was looking. Uh, I just thought, I don't know what even made me do this. I started looking at Pandora, and I, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was a music group called Love Song. Anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. okay, so, so I, I go, I went to Pandora, and so I just pulled up Love Song. Well, they've made two albums, and they're both on there. And so uh, I, uh, I started listening to this one of them, the first one they did, and it's just called Love Song. And I mean, talk about memories, because that happened at the time that I got spirit-filled. In fact, it was, it was, there, was, there was a song that they, that they sing called Welcome Back that, that uh, I mean, I wasn't totally backslidden, but pretty much. And I heard this song, and it made me hungry. Uh, for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, maybe just hungry, and I, because I, I, I had all my friends were, were Christians and most of them were serving God, and they knew I wasn't, and so I think they trapped me in this car one night, and this guy started playing this song, and and uh, anyway, but I began to listen to that, and I've been listening to it for several days now, and I mean it, it's taken me back to a place. You know, we we can't ever recapture that moment in time. But we can recapture a place in the Lord. I mean, it just had, it just brought me a lot of joy just to listen to those. And, and I began to think about um, back, in, back in those days. Of course, you know, I'm just a kid. You don't have to have a job or anything. But I remember thinking, in those days, you know what? If my car broke down, it didn't bother me. I really believed that God was going to take care of it. You know, I didn't... I didn't storm back into the house or anything like that. I, mean, I just really believed it. If I didn't have any money and, and we needed to go somewhere, I mean, I just believed that God would take care of it. And, and he always did. It was just, it was a time where, where, where there was a lot of, uh, we, we saw a lot of miracles. We saw a lot of things going on. And there was this, this, this real um, affair with Jesus. You know, and over time, sometimes, and it's okay to lose the feelings, but we must never lose the passion. It's the passion, and and I, I just I just recall the passion. I mean, man, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I wrote letters to everyone I ever sinned with, and I told them, you know, I mean, you probably all did the same thing. I wrote letters to them, and I told them, I said, it's different now, 
and the next time I see you, you can be assured I'll tell you about Jesus. And they made sure I didn't see him. But anyway, <laughs> but the, the passion, the passion for Jesus is something that, that I had never had. You know, I got saved when I was a boy. But when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I fell in love with Jesus. I mean, just just head over heels in love with him. Anyway, that album just brought all that stuff back to me. And, I, and then the Lord reminded me of the scripture uh, in, in Revelation chapter 2 where, where uh, uh, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he said, he said, you know, I've got this one problem with you. And that is you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. But then he gave them the remedy for it. And it was interesting because the remedy is remember. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember. You know what? It does us good to remember. I mean, I'd encourage you, just remember. If there's ever been a time in your life that you've been more in love with Jesus than today, remember. Remember it. And then he said repent. The word repent typically means it has to do with sin, and it probably does to some degree in that passage. But the word repent is, is the Greek word metanoia, and that means to change the mind. Metanoia means to think differently to change your mind he told them he said you need to change the way you think change because what happens is as we go on and we mature and all those things we focus more on what the greek word would be bios rather than the greek word zoe bios has to do with with the physical life i live the physical world around me and something happens as we mature in life. You know, you get married, and you you, you got you got to take care of your spouse. You get a house, you got to take care of the house. You get kids, you got to take care of those. And all of a sudden, I had to work a real job, and things began to change. You know, but bios began to be the focus rather than the zoe. We need to have that life, the life that connects us with God, the life that is that transcends the physical world in which we live, and to make that most important to us. He said, think a different way. Think about that. Instead of being so focused on all the things, we need to think about that. And then he said, he said, he said, remember, repent. And then he said, do the first works is what it says in, in, in the King James. The phrase first works doesn't necessarily mean to do the same things you did when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because many of us are physically incapable of doing some of those crazy things we did back then. But it has to do with it has to do with what is foremost, what is primary, what is most important, and so and I began to think what were those things? What were the things that that, that we did in those days? Well, I'm going to tell you, every day, every day we gave thanks, every day we worshipped, with without reservation, without any kind of, of 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 embarrassment. It didn't matter. We were a traffic light, man. We were going to worship God. I'm not telling you you need to do that exactly. I'm just saying we need to have that abandon in our hearts toward him. Every day we, we talked about the Bible. I mean, we just discussed it with, with each other all the time. And the word became so important. The worship became so important. And this love affair we had with Jesus was extended far beyond the emotion of the first moments. I mean, for a long time, and we just, we just, we, we knew we had this passion for him. And you know... So I just began to say, you know what, Lord, I really, I really repent of getting too caught up in the bios. 
I really want to connect with you. Connect with you on the level I'm supposed to be on. And I'll tell you, just listening to those, those songs, I'm not advocating you listen to those songs, but for me, just listening, I went back to a place. And we need to learn how to do that. I'm reminded of, of Jacob when he was an old man. God said, I want you to go back to Bethel. Went back to a place where he could encounter God like he did the first time. We need to be people who really, really never lose that. You know, it's like, yeah, well, I speak in tongues. Well, I do too. But you know what? Sometimes we can lose the passion. And we need to never lose the passion. Never lose the passion. You know, in, in, in church world today, um, there's a lot of focus on how hard it is. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's just hard. We sing songs about one more time, and I know you'll help me through this. And, and, and we do all these things, and it's about how hard it is to be a Christian. Listen, I think if it's hard for us to be a Christian, we're not doing it right. It ought not to be a thing where it's so hard for us. It ought to be something, Christianity ought not be a drudgery. It ought to be fun. Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have and enjoy life in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's what we ought to be doing. Our life, let's talk about that Zoe life. It ought to be fun. We ought to be enjoying him. I realize we have bills to pay. We have grandchildren to pray for. We have children to pray for. We have all these things going on. But we need to learn how to enjoy our life. Enjoy it. Doesn't mean everything's going to go right. We need to enjoy it. So one thing I notice about a lot of Christians is they seem to be under a lot of things. We should be over things. It's time to get over it rather than being under it. We need to be over it. One day, one day, not too long ago, well, it's been several months ago, I was complaining to the Lord. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, but I'm complaining to him. And I'm telling him how hard it was, whatever this was. And I'm complaining to him. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just letting him know. And, 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 I mean, the Holy Spirit just stopped me. And I don't know how he talks to you, but he kind of talks to me like it's real. And he says, you know, in my spirit, he didn't tell me, this wasn't audible, but in my spirit. He said, what are you doing? Now, I didn't want to say I'm murmuring. I didn't want that to come out of my mouth. <laughs> I didn't want to say I'm complaining. I said this to the Lord. I said, well, I'm just telling you how I feel. And he said, you're telling me how you feel. And I said, yeah, I want you to know how I feel. You know, modern psychology says you need to tell how you feel, that you need to have shout therapy and you need to make sure you express, you need to express your feelings and all that stuff. And I said, I'm telling you how, you, how I feel. And, and the Lord, I mean, just I, as soon as I said it, I knew I said the wrong thing. And the Lord said, and how is that working for you? <laughs> is that doing you any good whatsoever? And I'm like, well, not, not really. And it's like, then he says, what do you think you ought to be saying? I said, well, I ought to be speaking praise. I ought to be speaking the answer. I ought to be giving you thanks because you're always good. And your word says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
not for it all, but in it all. In the middle of it, my job with him is to give thanks. Give thanks. You know, I'm like, well, this is hard. And he's like, no, 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 that's not really hard. The cross was hard. He said, you know, what's hard is when you take it hard. And so what I needed to do was just to begin to give thanks. Give thanks. And as soon as I started doing that, my, my mind, the Lord reminded me of the passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 21, verse 16. Jesus says, he said to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And he said, because they're, they're griping because these people are praising Jesus. And Jesus said, he said, he said have, you, have, have you ever read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Perfect praise comes out of the mouth of someone who has absolute, utter dependency upon God. Because that's what, that's what babes and sucklings are, utterly dependent. He said, you know, if we're utterly dependent, then the first words that are come out of our mouth are, thank you. Because we know, not only is he able, but he's willing and able to deal with it according to his word as we believe what he says. He said, he, he just reminded me that, that out of the mouth of those who are utterly dependent, perfect praise, that's when it's perfect, when you utterly depend upon him. But then it also says there that Jesus said, have you not read? Well, that means that verse is someplace else in the Bible. So I thought, okay, well, let's read it. Well, that's in Psalm 8, verse 2. Psalm 8, verse 2 says it this way. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Perfect praise is ordained strength. Perfect praise is a supernatural strength that we can't get any other way. Perfect praise is when you want to want to tell tell God how you feel, but instead of telling him how you feel, you give him thanks. You begin to praise him. You begin to worship him for the answer. It says you've ordained strength. I love this next part. Because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Now think about this. It says that you might still the enemy and the avenger. The word still here. The Hebrew word here is the Hebrew word sabbath. We get the word sabbath from that, that, that Hebrew word. What, it, what it's actually saying is, is, is that, that, that he's ordained strength that he might give the enemy a sabbath. That he might give the enemy a day off. We need rest from a lot of things. And the answer for that is perfect praise, is learning how to praise him, learning how to worship him. The devil keeps Christians under stuff all the time. They're always under it. Not all of them. Many of them are just always under it. I mean, I know so many Christians that you meet them and, and how you doing? Well, I'm pretty good under the circumstances. And I always ask the same question. Well, what are you doing under there? Because perfect praise is the answer to those things. Perfect praise. One time I was praying and the Holy Spirit, I think I may have told you this before, the Holy Spirit said to me, 
You know how he speaks to you sometimes. He says, Judah beget Perez. And I'm like, I know. And I know that. It's in, it's in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Judah beget Perez. Talking about the genealogy of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said, Judah beget Perez. I said, good, thank you. I didn't know. <laughs> so the day went on, and I was facing some difficult things. And the Holy Spirit said to me again, Judah beget Perez. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I got some problems here. I need to deal with some things. And then went on, and I got all, I think I got all the way the next day. And the Holy Spirit finally, it's like he was shouting at this time. He said, Judah beget Perez. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I knew that if God said it to me three times, that he might want to tell me something. So I began to do some research on those words. Judah, and you know this one, Judah means praise. Praise is what Judah means. What I didn't know was what the word Perez means. Because Perez was the offspring of Judah through Tamar, his daughter-in-law. It's a terrible story in the Bible. I don't even know why it's there, except we got, we, got to, we got to Perez. The word Perez means breakthrough. So the Lord was telling me, he's saying, praise births breakthrough in our lives. I mean, I, I mean, that's just a, oh, that's what you're trying to say. We need to learn how, if we're going to fight, and we're going to talk about this some tonight, a fight of faith, the, I'm telling you, the two strongest faith words you can say are thank you. Thank you. Because he really, he really is Jehovah Jireh. And I know we sing that song about my provider. That literally means he really is the Lord who sees. He's the seer. He sees to it that you get the provision. He really sees the next step. He really sees the curve in the road. He really sees what's ahead. And while it looks bleak here, he already sees it. And my job then needs to be thank you. Because he's working on my behalf. He always is. I found out this, I mean, as a pastor, I found it many, many times. The biggest problems that most Christians have are these. I'll just list them to you. Number one, they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know. The world has beat them down. They've been beat down all their lives. They were made fun of on the playground. They were made fun of by relatives. Different things have happened to them. And they don't understand who they are in Christ. And because the church... Has, has, has helped out with people having such a, a sin consciousness. I mean, I went to church as a little boy a lot. And I mean, all we talked about every week was our need to get saved. That is all we talked about. And I mean, I knew for a fact that I was a dirty, filthy, rotten, no good sinner. And I was six years old. But I knew it. I knew that I had to have Jesus. But I mean, they talked about it all the time. So Christians grow up with this mindset. And I, the, the, listen, the motivation was pure. It was to get people to heaven. But, the, but we have this mindset of how sinful we are. The Bible doesn't even teach that. It teaches us how righteous we are. Not in our righteousness, but in His righteousness. We've been made the righteousness of God. Christians, sometimes they don't even know who they are in Christ. They don't feel like they're qualified to be forgiven. They don't feel like that God uh, could possibly love them enough to do anything good for them. And so they live that way. 
But I tell you, we need to know who we are in Christ. Recognize what the redemption did for us. The, one of the biggest problems Christian have, Christians have is they need to have their minds renewed. If you're preaching to lost people, the biggest sermon you ought to preach is you need Jesus so you can get saved. When you preach to Christians, I think the biggest sermon we need to preach is you need to have your mind renewed. It needs to be Christians often don't think right because they don't spend time in the Word. We think, well, if I just had more faith. No, if you just had more Word, you'd have more faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm not talking about enough Word to make you mean. I'm talking about enough Word because you met those people, right? They have a Bible in one hand, a rock in the other. (laughs) They are not your friends. I'm going to tell you that right now. But we need to get the Word of God in us in us so that faith rises in us with our mind being renewed not having had it renewed today currently having my mind renewed i mean that's that we need to have a different way to think not according to the way i feel not according to religion but according to what does the bible say when you know what the scripture says i don't know at all but i'm telling you i hear people say stuff sometimes and i have to just bite my tongue I'm like, the Bible doesn't ever say that. And then God gets blamed for all kinds of things. But we need to have our minds filled, renewed with the Word. And then I notice most Christians, not most, many Christians aren't enjoying the victory that's promised in the covenant we have. We have this idea, this is from wrong thinking, we have this idea that ours is to suffer through life and One of these days, hopefully, maybe when Jesus comes back, we'll get to go with him. No, no, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not coming back for a crybaby church. (laughs) He's coming back for a triumphant church. And that's us. That's who we are. That's what we need to have. We need to begin to enjoy life, enjoy what he's called us to do. I mean, many Christians are just under the circumstances. They're under the pressure, under the stress, under the burdens that are too heavy to carry. They're under the weather. They're under attack from the enemy. I mean, they're just under, under, under. Listen, we need to be over. It's time to get over it. It's time to do what we're supposed to do. Listen to this verse of Scripture, and you know this. Deuteronomy 28:13 it says the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail That sounds like it's over not under thou shalt be above only and thou shalt not be beneath That's what God wants for us to be above only it says that happens if You hearken to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them. As we hearken to the word, as we take the word and make it the center of our lives, because the word and Jesus are inseparable. I remember when I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with the word. When I fell in love with Jesus, all of a sudden the Bible made sense to me. We hearken to it and we're above and not under. We're the head and not the tail. God wants his covenant partners to be over in life, not under. Think of these verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. A lot of overs going on here. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the face of the earth. When God... Listen. The creation... When God made man, he wasn't finished until he blessed him. And when he blessed mankind, he gave him a position that was different than anything created. He breathed in him the breath of life, and then he blessed him. And when he blessed him, he was now empowered to carry out everything that God told him to do. Now, this empowerment begin to teach on, on, on blessing tomorrow night in our Wednesday night group. But I, it, the, the, this blessing that God conferred upon him, I don't know if you understand this or not, but the scripture says, whom God blesses, they can't be cursed. Mm. In Adam, God blessed all mankind. Yeah, but what about the curse? You just need to read it very carefully. Never did God curse Adam. Never cursed him. God pronounced the blessing on Adam. When he sinned, God simply announced the curse that was released. He never cursed him. Adam was not cursed. The planet was cursed, but not Adam. Because who God blesses cannot be cursed that's pretty fun, I think. So that means that means God creates this man. He says, I want you to dress the garden and I want you to keep it. The word the word keep means to guard, to protect. Well, what was he going to protect it from? Listen, the day that snake slithered in there wasn't the first time they encountered him. They weren't like, oh, look, a talking snake. No, no. They were supposed to protect the garden. But the part I like is he told them to dress it. The word dress literally means to make it grow. Adam had this job, and it was to make that garden grow, to make it go beyond its borders, to make it literally cover the earth. Because God intended for the blessed man to live in paradise all his days. That was the plan of God. That was the will of God. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could be living in that garden? Well, we still live in that blessing, though, because he never revoked the blessing. He won't revoke the blessing. He created us and empowered us to be over, over it all. I mean, we're created to be over it all. Just, I mean, just get the picture of this creation. He creates this man. Psalm, Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6 kind of gives us a picture of what took place there. I'm going to read from the Young's literal translation to see why in just a moment. This is like the angels are talking. And they're saying, what is man that you remember him? I mean, the angels had to think this was the weirdest thing they had ever seen. God makes this lump of clay, gets down face to face, and breathes in him. And man, according to the Chumash, the Jewish uh, historical books from, from the book of Genesis, the Chumash says that man became another speak, speaking spirit just like God. 
he became another creating spirit, just like God is what it's talking about. And God breathes in this guy. And he's, he's awake. He finally gets even. God says, you're blessed. And the angels are like, wait a minute. What is that? Because the angels desire, the Bible says, to look into the things concerning salvation. And they think, listen, the angels, they think we got it made. Because we're made in the image of God. We're like God. And they're like, I don't know what y'all griping about. God, what is man and the son of man that you inspect him? And causest him to lack a little of the Godhead. The King James says, has made him a little lower than the angels. Well, the word angels there is the, is the Hebrew word Elohim, which means gods or Godhead. He said, you've made him a little lower. You, you, made, you made him to lack a little of the Godhead. This is pretty fun, isn't it? I mean, we lack a little of the Godhead. We're not God. We won't be God, but there's not like... God and then the angels and then us. No, no. It's God in us. We're going to judge angels. They're here to help us. I mean, and they're like, you lucky dog. You get to, man, that is awesome. God made us a little lower than himself. It says, and with, listen to this, and with honor and majesty compasses him. Surround, we're surrounded with honor and majesty. And dost cause him, man, to rule over the, over is the word here, over the works of thy hands and all thou hast placed under his feet. There where Christians need to get hold of something. God made us over. I don't care how big the devil tries to make himself look, he's a pipsqueak. I mean, in the movies, they make the demons look huge. They're not. I mean, 6,000 of them fit into one guy. They can't be very big. I mean, I mean they're, they're, they're more like termites than they are like those big beings that they have. And yet, and yet for some reason, the devil has, has tricked the church, tricked humanity into believing that, that the devil is big and that he and that the devil and God fought this fight. He was so close. And I mean, finally in the end, Jesus won. No, no, Jesus just flat out kicked his tail. It was never close. And it never will be close. God, he placed it all under our feet. It says he placed, he, he caused us to rule over the works of his hand. You and I, men and women of God. I mean, this is something we were created to be over. Listen to this passage of Scripture. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. This is the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what we need to believe for. We have this spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of, the, of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. 
I mean, that's God's will for you, that you would see it and you would know the exceeding greatness of his mighty power. That's what he wants. And I, listen, I believe he can have it if he wants it, if we'll just receive it. It says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all, and that's where Jesus is, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now, if we stopped here, we wouldn't get the whole thought. Yes, Jesus is at the right hand of God. I mean, he is, he is far above all. Far, sounds, isn't that what God said about Adam? He used to be over all. Jesus is far above all. I mean, Jesus is above not just the earth, but everything else. Far above all. Everything. No name that is named. In this age or that age, no name. It says, and he hath put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We are the body of Jesus. He is at the right hand of the Father over all. If we are a part of his body, then where are we? At the right hand, because the head isn't separate from the body. I'll tell you that right now. That would be a freak. The head and the body are at the right hand of the Father over all. Over all. It, whatever your position is in the body of Christ. Even if you are the little toenail on the little toe. It's still above the devil. It's still over all. It's still a part of that which is blessed. It's over all. We're over all. That's why the Bible says that Satan will shortly be crushed under our feet. We're part of the body. We're part of his body. I mean, we are over. We're not under. We're above. We're not beneath. Christians need to learn that. When we're fighting a fight against the devil, we need to figure out who we are and who he is. It's not like, oh, I heard this one guy one time. And this may have been you. I don't know. He said, testimony time at this church we went to to visit because we knew the guest preacher. And the guy says, and this guy goes to me goes, oh, the devil's been, been whipping me with the word. And I thought, what? What the heck does that even mean? I mean, that's just a religious, ignorant statement right there. The devil can't whip you with the word. You can beat the fire out of him with the word. But Christians had this idea that, oh, the devil, he just is. Jesus said to devils, go. And they went. Jesus was never intimidated by the devil. Never. In my mind, I have this picture of Jesus when he cast out a demon. You know how we see it. I command you in Jesus' name. Come out! Come out! Come out! I don't think Jesus ever did that. I think Jesus said, go. And I think they went. Jesus didn't wonder who he was or where he came from. If we know who we are and understand that God created us to be over and not under, it's going to change a lot of things. I mean, it's time for Christians to get real here. If we're going to fight 
the fight of faith. There is a fight to fight. And it's a fight of faith, not a fight of something else. It's a fight of faith. Then we've got to get real. The scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I'm going to tell you something. You can put on boxing gloves and you can't hit those guys. That's not who we fight. For though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians says, we don't war after the flesh. For our weapons, for the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. we got to learn how to live and fight in a realm that is more real than the physical one. We have to learn how to know who we are in that realm. I mean, the only way is not with something we learn from religion. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a room and there's a demonic manifestation. I mean, like if they're all folding chairs and somebody has one, all the chairs go, because everybody gets away from them. The devil's not the one in charge. Well, he's the God of this world. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus took the keys. Jesus took them once and for all. The curse was reversed. Listen, we can't fight the devil by being emotion, Emotional. I mean, you can get as mad as you want to, but the devil doesn't have to leave because you're mad. You can, you can cry and you can beg. You can't, fight, you can't fight a fight like that. You can't fight the devil by being intellectual either. You're never going to outsmart him. He's been around for these six to 7,000 years. He's been watching human behavior. He, he knows what people are going to do. I mean, he's, he may have even read a book or two. I mean, he, he's wrote, written several of them, it seems like. <laughs> But our fight, our fight is always a fight of faith in the spirit realm. You know what? Our problem in the Democrats is not the Republicans. Our problem are demon spirits. Those forces out there. The scripture says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Here's how the fight of faith is fought. You've got to grab hold of something that is eternal. You have to grab hold of what is not physical to fight the fight. You've got to lay hold on that which is alive in the eternal realm, which would be the Word of God, which would be the Spirit of God, grabbing hold of the reality. It says, laying hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession, or confessed a good confession before many witnesses. The word confession and, and profession, it literally means to, to agree with and say it out loud. Here's the fight of faith. We grab hold of something that is not carnal. We grab hold of that which is beyond the earthly realm and we step into the eternal realm and with that we agree with what that says with our mouth. You want to fight the devil? That's how you fight him. With with understanding the whole time you are above and not beneath. You fight him that way. I mean, we fight against what we can't see. We use weapons that we can't see. We've got to exercise faith. I love the scripture in 1 John 5, 4. It says, for whatsoever is born of God. That means, let's just say this, for whosoever is born of God can overcome the world. Then it says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. When we step out into a realm that is not, not the physical one, but by faith, we step out there. And I'll tell you, we need to be so convinced 
that God cannot fail. And we agree with that? Yeah, I think we can agree with that. We need to be convinced that God's word can never fail. I'm convinced of it. I mean, I really believe that it's true. So then, if I believe God's word can't fail, and if I believe that God can't fail, that means that my faith in his word can't fail. Because he's always true to his word. The problem is never with faith, and I've discovered this in my life over the years. Sometimes I'm like, God, I believed you. And he's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and he's usually, yeah, that's pretty much how the way he says it. No, you didn't. And then I have to say, what? Show me. It's not, it's not the faith that will fail. It's not the word that will fail. It's my understanding. It's, it's my operation. I know he can't fail. It just cannot fail. And so it's not him. It has to be something that I need to know more of. Over the years, people have used what they call faith, and they've led many people into error because they've made faith be about me getting what I want. You know, I'm just going to believe God, and I'm going to have me a new Mercedes, and I'm going to have, you know, $10 million in the bank. And that's not what faith is even about. Doesn't mean you can't get a Mercedes and have the $10 million. That's not what it's saying. But, but that, that's not it. The abuses make faith be about what getting what I want. Listen, the purpose of faith is not to get what I want. The purpose of faith is to get God what He wants. Mm-hmm. Get God what He wants through me. Mm-hmm. Believing Him. Okay, God, I want what you want. And I'm going to believe your word and I'm going to see you move through me, your faith move through me. See, we got to understand something. God wants healing. He's for it. He promised it. That's what he said. So I can stand for that. I, God wants to meet the needs of his covenant partners. Never has changed. I mean, I, I figured out a long time ago, God wants me to have all that I can handle and still keep him number one in my life. You don't care how much you have as long as he's number one in your life. You understand that God wants us to operate in authority. He wants us to have authority over the curse that's in the world. That's what he wants. And we've got to be people of faith, understanding that, that God wants us to have victory in our lives. That's what he wants. We may go through the battle, but we win. I mean, the curse of the law, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the curse of the law included sickness, Included defeat at the hands of the enemy, captivity by the enemy, lack and death. That's what it it always included. But here's what the scripture says in Galatians. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you remember what the promise was to Abraham? The scripture says the promise to Abraham was that he would be the heir of the world. That was the promise. God has given the world to us because we're the blessed. Because we are above and we're not redeemed. We're not beneath. That, that's that's what that's that's what this has for us if we recognize what it is. I mean, all of that is as we simply believe what he said, expect what he said. And decide that what he says is right. One thing I know about God, he's not my heavenly butler. He doesn't just do what I tell him to do. It's not the Holy Spirit in just like, uh, Spirit, over here. 
No, no, no. He's God. I am doing his bidding, not him doing mine. Faith isn't about me. It's about him. Getting his will, his plan done. See, the scripture says in Hebrews 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. I think I've taught this before in this room in this, in this, to this group. But it says through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. If you break this verse down, you look up that word, the word worlds and it literally is the word for ages. We get the English word eons from this word in the Greek. It says by faith we understand that the eons Ages, time frames, a century is a time, a decade is a time, my lifetime is a time. It says, by faith we understand that certain periods of time were framed. The word frame doesn't mean built, it literally means altered. Through faith we understand that certain periods of time have been altered by the word of God. And then that chapter goes on to list all of these people who had the word from God and changed their world. That's what faith is about. Faith is about finding out what God has said, standing on that no matter what. It says, so that things which are, are seen were not made of things which do appear. You may not see it yet, but the purpose of faith is for God's word through me, through you, can be manifest and change the world. It might be my world. It might be where I work. It might be with my children and my grandchildren. It might be, uh, it might be bigger than that. It might be a whole church. It might be a whole city or a nation. But the purpose of faith is to change things, to change it. We're not beneath. We're above, and we've got to know who we are. I mean, if we're going to see the effective movement of God's plan, it's, it's going to be by believing what he said and standing on that with everything we have. The word faith, by the way, means to give absolute credence to a thing or to be sold out to it. And so if I give absolute credence to the word of God, that means there is no plan B in my mind or heart. It's all the word. What he said is right. I mean, and that's what he's going to create is that. When the scripture says that his word doesn't return to him void, well, it has to return some way. How does it do that? Through my mouth. When I begin to speak it, it returns. And it will produce and create that thing wherefore he sent it. That's where we have to be. We, we are not below. We are above. That's what we're supposed to do. We are people who walk in the steps of faith, pleasing God, doing all that we're supposed to do so God can have his way in the earth. So far, most churches are like, okay, God, do something. And he's like, okay, give me something to work with. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years. I just need God to do a miracle in my finances. Do you tithe? No. He's got nothing to work with. God wants to do something. Our faith to change a world is what he's after. That's what God wants wants to do. That's where that's where he wants to that's where he wants us to be, is in this place of faith. We're above. We're over all. It's time to get over it and see God accomplish what he wants. Let's pray.
Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is, is sure. I thank you, Father, that, that there is there's no reason for us to give up, to quit, to slow down. It's time for us to press on with you and do the things you've called us to do, Father. God, I thank you tonight for your word. We believe we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.